The following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcast Network. For advertising information or to find more great podcasts, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com and follow us on Twitter at RealTheUnderdog. MLB show. Here are your hosts, the luckiest men on the face of the earth, Chase Fedorsky and Bryce Holden. Welcome to episode 94 of the Honor Dark Sports Baseball Show. It is Tuesday, 3.50 Eastern time here in New York. It's the same time for Sam in Cleveland. Uh, every now and then I do have to check myself because as, as many of you know, my brother goes to school in Ohio at Ohio State and it's very much not a central school, but for whatever reason, I think of it as one. I didn't think that Cleveland was East Coast time until I moved here, to be honest. I associated it with it with the Midwest. So That makes me feel a lot better because uh, anyone who knows me, you being one of these people, knows uh, I'm very, very bad at geography and direction. Uh, so knowing that, you know, someone a little bit I would say more educated, but we went to the same college. But yeah, you know what? Somebody a little more educated like you thought the same thing. Um, that's certainly reassuring. Uh, in a little bit of personal news, as Sam and I were just discussing right before, this has nothing to do with baseball, but we got plenty of baseball to talk about thanks to the Padres, so we'll hold off on that for a second. Uh, I am now finally taking the plunge and joining a dynasty football league. I had resisted it for many, many years. Um, I just compared it to my plight of resisting being on Instagram uh, and Hinge, the dating app. Haven't been too successful on Instagram or Hinge, but hey, 2020 run is uh, right around the corner, I guess. Uh, so I will be coming to a dynasty league near you soon. Uh, Sam, as somebody who is in more – are you even allowed to be in dynasty league still with working yeah. with an NFL team? You just can't bet on sports. Correct. And if you're listening Cleveland Browns, I've tried to get him to bet on sports many times, and he hasn't budged once. He's just <laughs> given me you know, some very average advice on college hoops games. Yeah, I, I know nothing. So so we're taking the plunge into Dynasty land. Uh, for anyone in the league listening, if you want Aaron Rodgers, call my GM, Andrew. He will be handling all press inquiries at this time. Uh, but 94th show, we are six away from lucky number 100. Uh, in the next week or two, I am going to think of some kind of contest or giveaway for the 100th show. Don't ask about it yet. Once 2021 hits, I'll have a better idea of what that looks like. But it might be a Yankee game. It might be having a beer with me. It might be some baseball cards. It might be none of those. We will see. Uh, but Yankees number 94. Uh, only one Yankee has worn it, and that is Winston Sawyer. He pitched for the team this year. And even in a 60-game season, it's proof that I do not know every random relief pitcher throughout baseball. Um, but I will leave this up to you from here. I got five athletes who wore number, 40, number 94 across three different sports. Uh, the big baseball one is Jose Mesa former all-star for the Dodgers, Tigers, threw a no-hitter. In hoops, we got the Frenchman, Evan Fournier, still making some nice three-pointers from the Magic. Uh, one of the surprise, probably the, I would say the most surprising undefeated team in the NBA, but is that even true? The Magic? Yeah. Not the what undefeated part, the most surprising part. Uh, I mean, they had... Aren't the Hawks undefeated still? No, they just got bounced. I'm not following close enough, but yeah, the Magic are nice. Yeah, they're not 3-0 oh, nice. Uh, but then we got a big three of defenders, DeMarcus Ware, future Hall of Famer, football Hall of Famer Charles Haley, and Cam Jordan, who's been terrorizing people for the Saints for years. 
Uh, so I will leave it up to you. Who is your number 94 that you would pick across sports? Or if there's anybody I forgot because I don't know a thing about hockey, let me know and chime in. Yeah, I got nothing for hockey, but I'm going Cam Jordan. I think he's the best player out of those. I think I'm going to go Charles Haley only because okay. I think DeMarcus Ware produced the most, but Charles Haley is in the Football Hall of Fame and won rings with both the Cowboys and the Niners, I believe. Feel free to fact-check me on that, but I think him and Deion Sanders did the same thing, uh, which means he had to match up and practice every day with some really good offensive talent. And in my yeah, I'm mind, going Cam Jordan. I mean, he'll be in the Hall of Fame as well, and you got to show the Pac-12 some love. Where did Cam go to school? I should know. Cal, this. I think. I think he went to Berkeley. The Pac-12 deserves no love. I've come to that conclusion. <laughs> Such is life. Um, but it's, it's like as terrible as this to say, it wouldn't be – the proper end of 2020 without some sad news. Um, and amazingly, this is the seventh time this year uh, that during this podcast, we are reporting on the death of a baseball hall of famer. Uh, in this case, it was Nuxie Phil Negro who passed away at the age of 81 in Atlanta uh, on it, Sorry. On Saturday in Atlanta, in his sleep, uh, Negro collected 318 wins over his 24 year career. That included stints with the Braves, Yankees, Indians, and Blue Jays. He was a five-time All-Star and five-time Gold Glove Award winner who finished within the top six in the NL Cy Young Award balloting five times from 1969 to 1982. Uh, and again, those seven Hall of Famers. I mean, you, you talk about a all-time team in a calendar year to build with. Uh, just the rotation alone, Phil Necro, Bob Gibson, Whitey Ford, Tom Seaver. Then you have Lou Brock, Al Kaline, Joe Morgan as your one, two, three. Uh, that is a team that I would be willing to to go match up with pretty much any team throughout baseball history with uh, Rob Manfred commented saying in the last century, no pitcher threw more than Phil's 5,404 innings snuckleball 11 to five all-star selection, 320 win seasons for the Atlanta Braves, a 300 win club and ultimately Cooperstown uh, the Negroes together hold the record him and his brother, Joe for the most victories by a brother combo with 539 and were amazingly the NL's only 20 game winners in 1979. Interesting thing here that I noted, uh, and it has to do with Negro's high school career. Uh, he actually was childhood neighbors going up with John Havlicek. Uh, so I will ask you this, and I know you're not going to know the answer, but what do you think the odds are that two athletes that ended up in the Hall of Fame in two different sports grew up with each other? This has to be the only anecdote of its kind, no? So far, I mean, what's the thing that they always talk about with Kershaw and Stafford? Oh, I mean, we hear about it every time that uh, Matt's it's, – it's Kershaw I mean, was – it's debatable if Stafford's a Hall of Famer because of his team, but – Kershaw was Stafford's catcher, though, right? Not the other way around? I believe so, back in Little League or whatever, yeah. Which, not to get carried away from Phil Necro, but I'm surprised given how hyper-competitive Texas sports are that they let Kershaw play as a lefty catcher. Because usually by, like, your teenage years, you kind of, like – in Little League, it's like, all right, the kid who can catch is the kid who can throw to second base, but – by the teenage years, when he was catching Stafford, that's usually weeded out. But I guess it just shows what kind of a freak Clayton Kershaw was. Yeah. Uh, one other note about Necro's high school career. The legend is that he only lost one game as a pitcher in high school. And it was a one nothing game where fellow Hall of Famer Bill Mazeroski hit a solo home run. Um, again, probably the second most famous home run in Mazeroski's career behind the one that ended the 60 World Series against the Yankees. But still a little tidbit. Uh, Negro made his major league debut with the Braves April 15th, 1964. Broke out in 67 with a major league low 1.87 ERA over 46 appearances. Uh, majorly didn't become a full-time pitcher until 19, full-time starter until 1968. 
when he was 29. That year he went 23 and 13. Uh, and that firmly established him as an ace in baseball. From 77 to 79, I mean, this to me is the craziest stat. He averaged 336 innings a season. I mean, you look at the Rays. In a 60-game season, I don't know if the Rays one through seven pitchers this year put up 336 innings. Yeah. Uh, and he averaged that for three years. No hitter in 1973, but his most memorable game with the Braves came in 82 uh, when he started the game, when he started uh, the season with 13 consecutive wins. Braves won the NL West by a single game to send Nico to the playoffs for the second time in his career. Final weekend of the season, he pitched a three-hit three shutout and hit a two-run two eighth-inning homer uh, that led Atlanta to a crucial 4 nothing victory over the Padres. Uh, really, the quintessential Phil Nico story is, I mean, his nickname is Nuxy. He is what you think of with a knuckleball. Uh, but in his 300th win start, October 6th, 1985, the final day of the regular season, Joe Necro served as pitching coach for the Yankees that day. Uh, Necro wanted to prove he wasn't all knuckleball, so he did not throw a single knuckle until two outs in the ninth. Finally, he threw three to strike out former teammate uh, Jeff Burrows. Yanks won 8 nothing, and he pretty much did it just to prove that he could. Uh, he tallied more wins at 121 and in innings at 1,977 after turning 40 than any other pitcher in baseball history. Uh, off the field, he won the Lou Gehrig Award, the Roberto Clemente Award, and the Brian Piccolo Award, and managed the Colorado Silver Bullets, an all-women's baseball team in the late 1990s. Um, and again, you know, some people will look at Phil Necro as a compiler uh, in terms of his Hall of Fame stats, which, look, I get the guy pitched 24 years. But at the end of the day, and, and, and to me, I feel this way with any compiler, if you're playing a position in the major leagues for 24, 25 years, you're there for a reason. And, yeah. and that, to me, is why the compiler argument is sort of null and void. Uh, but by the end of his final season, he ranked 10th amongst major leaguers in number of seasons played. Only Cy Young, Pud Glavin, and Walter Johnson uh, threw more innings, and he has the most innings uh, pitched since the start of the dead ball era. Um, he was also first in victories and strikeouts amongst knuckleballers. And at the end of the day, the 97.0 war he accumulated as a pitcher, uh, 11th amongst 11th amongst pitchers all times, 335 ERA, 245 complete games, 65 from ages 38 to 40. I mean, the guy really did a little bit of everything and is one of the most unique pitchers in baseball history, one of only 18 pitchers with 3,000 strikeouts, only one of 10 with 300 wins and 3,000 strikeouts, one of the only, pitch, the only pitcher ever to lead the league in wins and losses, which he did 21 and 20 in 1979. Uh, and again, it just sucks that we're having to say goodbye to another Hall of Famer and one who just seems like he was so beloved across the sport. Uh, any thoughts on Phil Negro's passing or any tidbits you picked up on from him in the past couple of days? Uh, I mean, like you said, this just sucks. This one hit a little harder for me just because I remember back when my dad lived in Atlanta, um, he went to like a local signing with Phil Necro and got a couple of things signed. And then for my birthday, I think it was a signed Phil Necro card. And it was the first like autographed anything that I really had. So yeah, it's just I mean, sort of the memory that I had. And it's really, <clears throat> I mean, prior to Necro, you had Hall of Famer Hoyt Wilhelm who utilized the knuckleball, but you know, he picked it up later in his career. It wasn't exclusively a knuckleballer. I don't think, you know, other than Mariano Rivera in the cutter, is there a player more synonymous with a pitch than Phil Necro in the knuckleball in baseball history? I don't think so, no. And, and I guess, and this is another one that we don't know the answer to because we weren't alive for it, but 
you would have to think that if not for Phil Necro and his brother Joe, the knuckleball probably dies out by the 80s. Yeah. Uh, and you don't see the Tim Wakefields, the R.A. Dickies, and the success that they had during our lifetimes as baseball fans. Um, so, yeah, I mean, an absolute shame. Another legend gone way too soon. And uh, I tweeted it out, you know, heaven up above has one hell of a baseball team for the 2020 year. So thoughts with the Negro family. Uh, and we're thinking about Braves Nation as well. Everyone, your dad included, who are big Phil Negro guys. Um, but moving ahead uh, to some current hot stove news. And it's funny enough, I had texted you earlier in the week, probably around Friday or Saturday, like, yo, there's not a lot going on. Josh Bell got traded to the Nationals. That's going to have to be like our feature story, which in a normal week is big news. That's still an all-star player getting traded within the same league that they were in before. Um, but, man, did the Padres just basically take my text to you and tell me to just go shove it up my ass. Uh, I mean, in the past 24 hours, made two seismic trades that are going to completely alter, I think, not just the National League, but all of baseball, as well as a pretty big free agent signing in the international market. Uh, so we'll just go in chronological order of when the moves took place. So the first was uh, Sunday night. Our friend Spencer texted me a Passan bomb. It is the baseball equivalent of the Woj bomb. Although, I don't know, what do you think is more, not relevant, but occurs more at this point, the Passan bomb or the Rosenthal bomb? Oof. I think it's Passan at this point. And how many times when you see the Heyman and Nightingale bomb do you just go, man? <laughs> I always double check for a uh, secondary source. <laughs> you have to. And, it's like yeah. I, and I love Nightingale and Heyman because not only do they just report far-fetched shit, but they're also very sensitive. Yeah. Like John Heyman getting it. John Heyman, it was a week or two ago, got into it with Trevor Bauer over reports of Bauer's free agency. And it was just like, John, you were literally arguing with a player about where said player is going to sign. How the fuck do you think you're going to win this argument? Like, it's impossible. <laughs> uh, but this was reported by Jeff Passan and later confirmed by the team. Um, the Dodgers filled the void in their starting rotation by landing late. Or the Padres. The Padres, not the Dodgers. This was made to help beat the Dodgers. Um, and it was a pitcher that we last saw getting pulled a little bit too early against the Dodgers. Uh, Blake Snell, the 2018 American League Cy Young winner, is headed to San Diego in a five-player Brock Buster. Uh, prospects Luis Patino, Blake Hunt, and Cole Wilcox, along with catcher Francisco Mejia, are headed to Tampa Bay in return. Uh, Snell owns a 3-2-4 ERA across five big league seasons and seems to be, seems to be a perfect fit in San Diego. Uh, one, because they need rotation depth, but two, uh, Mackenzie Gore is a top prospect, but he's on the way. Um, so they didn't really have a huge left-handed presence in that rotation. So not only does Snell give them an ace, but gives them a left-hander. Uh, the 2018 American League Cy Young winner is posted a 285 ERA across 337.2 innings over the past three seasons, striking out 32.1% of opposing hitting, hitters and holding them to a 206, 279, 350 slash line. This past season, 324 ERA, 4.35 FIP. Typical strikeout and walk numbers, and again, won the 2018 Cy Young Award when he went 21-5, and 1.89 ERA. Uh, since then, a little bit of an interesting trajectory for Snell. Uh, he battled some elbow injuries, went 6-8, 4.29 ERA during the 2019 season. Uh, and then in 2020, this past year, 4-2, 3.24 ERA. But in the postseason, 2-2, 3.06 ERA, and six postseason starts. Uh, but the interesting thing here is, and this is what I want to pause on before we get more into this trade, uh, 21 starts since his July 2019 surgery. He has not completed more than six innings. Do you think that's a product of Blake Snell working deep into counts, uh, just being the pitcher that he is, or the Rays 
just being so over-concerned with him. Uh, I should note that Jason Stark said that over the last two seasons, the only pitcher who had a quicker hook uh, than Blake Snell, minimum 34 starts, was Chase Anderson at 4.57 innings pitch per start. Snell was at 4.62. I mean, like you are saying, it could be a little bit of both, especially early on after his return as they're just managing him. But honestly, I think that's a race thing because we've seen them do it with pitchers who aren't Snell. And when you look at Snell stuff in terms of especially his velocity, it isn't too stark, especially compared to other pitchers as he gets into the fourth, fifth, sixth inning. So, yeah, I, don't, I wouldn't be concerned if I were Padres fans in terms of his arm. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, I agree. I think, it's, uh, I think it's a combination of the Rays using their strategy, their analytics-based strategy, and their bullpenning. Uh, on top of probably just being a little bit overcautious with Snell yeah. just because, again, he does have that injury history. Uh, to me, the reason this trade was so interesting before we talk about the Padres' uh, prospects that they traded to the Rays is – you know, a lot of times when you see an all-star guy get traded and look no further than what we talked about last week with Lindor and Cleveland, those guys have one year left on their contract. And it's for these small market teams, it's trade these guys or you're going to get nothing for them. Uh, Snell has three years left on his deal for $40.8 million. So that comes out to a little over $13.6 million a year, I think is the exact little under that. Um, which even for the Rays is remarkably affordable for a former Cy Young winner who's only 28 years old. Uh, I mean, he's going to fit in right above Denelson Lament in that rotation. Uh, and they also got you Darvish. So, I mean, they're going to be a dynamic one, two, three. And then Clevenger, when he's back in 2022, is going to make a great four. Uh, but again, they have Blake Snell for the next three years now. Why do you think the Rays traded him now, you know, rather than waiting? Uh, but I guess my other question as well as that is, do you think there was any piece of this where after he got pulled with two outs, you know, pitching that great game in the World Series, do you think Blake Snell forced his way out, even if it wasn't necessarily to San Diego? I mean, I'll talk, touch on your last piece first. I don't necessarily think that it was a demand of trade forced his way out, but I certainly think that he expressed sort of his – unhappiness with the franchise and just how they've been managing his innings the past year plus and especially in the postseason and that he was not going to be happy doing the same thing this upcoming season so I definitely think that probably paid, played some sort of part of it behind closed doors um, but yeah I'm not entirely certain yeah, and look, all that said, if you're Blake Snell, I mean, I think the number one choice if you got traded would have probably been the Seattle Mariners just because he's from the state of Washington. He could be close to his family. But from his perspective, this is a guy who strikes a lot of guys out, who gives up a lot of home runs, he's primarily a fastball curveball guy. You're not only moving out of the AL East with the DH and where, you know, the past 25 years or so, the liners have been incredible. You're moving to the NL West. There's at least for the time being no DH. So you're going to get that pitcher spot. But you're also moving to pick up Petco Park, which is the pitcher's park. Uh, in my opinion, this was a best-case scenario for where Snell could yep. get traded. Um, and, and I think it was really – we talked about it last week. This was a move that the Angels, I think, needed to make. Uh, and the Padres just snuck out from, in, from under, acquired Snell really from out of nowhere, I think, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, and ironically enough, last year when Tommy Pham got – Tommy Pham and Jake Cronworth were traded for Hunter Renfro, Hunter Renfro and Xavier Edwards, he said, quote, we traded these guys to the Padres for a bunch of slapdick prospects. Now Snell got traded for the, those teams 
other slapstick prospects. So we'll talk a little about them, those guys. Uh, the headliner of the trade was the 21-year-old Luis Patino, uh, 2016 international signing of a Columbia, one of the game's best prospects. Uh, the Athletics' Keith Law and Fangraph's Eric Langenhangham uh, each had him among the top 20 farmhands in the sport entering 2020. Mid-high 90s fastball plus slider has the makings of a plus changeup and above-average control. Uh, last year, he made his major league debut working out of the bullpen, 5.19 ERA and 17 and a third innings pitch. But again, he'd only thrown seven and two-thirds innings above a ball entering the season. Surely would have been given more minor league time in 2020 had there been a season. But the big thing here, again, knowing the Rays, six years of team control, controllable through 2026 if he sticks around the majors. So he's the headliner. Um, Hunt has emerged as a top 100 caliber prospect as well. 22-year-old catcher has been hitting the all fields with power. Uh, he ranked just 20th among Padre farmhands in Baseball America's midseason farm rankings, uh, but seems to have turned a corner in recent months. 2019, he had 255, 331, 381 in low A. Uh, and even Mejia, they acquired two catchers in this deal. He isn't that far removed from being an elite catching prospect. He was ranked top 35 every year. Uh, on Baseball America's list between 2017 and 2019. Headline, the Brad Hand trade between the Padres and the Indians in 2018. Hasn't hit a ton, only hit 225 and 362 career plate appearances. But again, he's young. You take the shot with the upside there. Worst comes to worst, you still have Mike Zunino re-signed in Tampa. Mm -hmm. And Wilcox may have been the steal of this trade. 2020 draftee out of the University of Georgia. Third round pick. Uh, third round pick, but was seen as a first round talent who fell because of a high bonus as a draft eligible sophomore. Uh, again, they gave this guy an overslot signing 3.3 million in the third round. So that just speaks to what the Padres mm -hmm. thought of him. High nineties, fastball slider changeup uh, was ranked 12th amongst the San Diego's farm uh, system. So I guess my question for you is, I mean, look, Patino is no slouch, but it seems like his ceiling would be a Blake Snell type pitcher uh, do you think this was enough quantity to go with the quality to justify this trade for the Rays? I mean, I definitely don't think that this was any sort of steal for uh, the Padres because I do actually generally like the return for the, uh, the Rays. Mejia, like you said, and we talked about Zunino re-signing last week. Um, I think he fits in just because they only had two catchers on their 40-man roster, they had Zunino, who they just re-signed, and then Ronaldo Hernandez, who has his flaws. And so I'm sure they expect Mejia to come in and to come into camp and at least compete for a share of playing time. But, I mean, they are obviously famous for their versatility, and so they may cause to try him elsewhere. But if not, I mean, he's at the very least an interesting late-game gamble this season as a switch-hitting offensive-minded catcher when the Rays are behind. And if not, then they'll try him somewhere else. But I think what they do with Patino is going to be really interesting because he has such great velocity, at least early on. And so even despite that, though, he just hasn't been generating frequent swings and misses. Um, perhaps that's because his fastball is a little bit of a natural cut, especially when he's locating it to his glove side. And when that happens, it typically run into more bats than not. And so the Rays have sort of dealt with this with Pete Fairbanks last year. He had a similar fastball, and they were able to correct this and get an extra gear out of him last year in 2020. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see if they're able to do something similar with uh, Patino. Yeah, I mean, look, and if there's any team that can correct pitchers with swing and missed stuff, not missing bats, it's the Rays. I mean, you look yeah. at what Tyler Glass now was with the Pirates. He was getting shelled in the major leagues, come over to the Rays, and you know they love him out there with his stuff almost to a fault. Uh, where sometimes he's the only pitcher they'll leave in, as we saw in the postseason. 
the Rays payroll getting rid of Snell is now at a projected 57 million, 17 million shy of last season's opening payroll uh, before prorating at 74 million. So hopefully this means the Rays are going to do uh, a couple more things this offseason and not just be content shedding, t- uh, shedding payroll and shedding players. Uh, but I think Jorge Castillo, a baseball writer, really summed it up best on Twitter when he said a team just traded one of the best pitchers in baseball in his prime on a below-market contract after going to the World Series for some prospects, and we've reached the point where it's just accepted, even praise. That seems like a problem. And I couldn't agree more. I, and I think everyone could complain about the traffic, getting the Rays games, the location, this and that. But at the end of the day, if you're a Rays fan, I'm with you. I would never go to these games because any successful player – Melvin Upton Jr., notwithstanding that they've developed, has been traded. So if yeah. you know you're going to develop homegrown talent that aren't going to be there, you know, at the end of the finish line, I think it's hard to get invested as a fan. And on top of that, knowing your team isn't going to spend, it just it sucks, plain and simple. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you even see other small market teams, whether it's Oakland, even San Diego more so a few years ago than now, obviously. Kansas City in the past – these smaller market teams that when they do recognize their window, they make a move or two to beef up their payroll, if even just for one or two seasons to compete. Or like you said, pay at the very least homegrown talent and Tampa Bay is just refusing to do that. And I think you hit the nail on the head. I was talking to with uh, Bryce about this and yeah, the Padres are a great example. Now you mentioned the Royals, even the A's, you know, it didn't pan out, but in 2014, they trade Cespedes to go get John Lester bolster their rotation We've seen small market teams, even the Pirates, those couple of years they made the yeah. playoffs. Liriano, Russell Martin, they made the complimentary moves, you know, to help make the playoffs. And I think the problem is the Rays have just never – they've never pushed the chips all in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think this is more frustrating than any team we've ever seen because this was a team that was literally a breakaway in game six from forcing a game seven of the World Series where anything could happen. It's the most unpredictable game in sports and they've literally they've lost their two best pitchers, probably their two best players in spot in uh, Snell and Charlie Morton. Mm. I mean, look, as a Yankee fan, I'm stoked, uh, and it really opens up the American League. But it just as a baseball fan, you hate to see this. Uh, and I guess with that in mind, the one thing I wanted to evaluate with you mm. is it's interesting when you look at these trades, some of the homegrown talent, because to me, really the only trade that's panned out fully is the Chris Archer trade. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you could sit, even sit, you could, the best one I think you can weigh in is as a Giants fan, the Evan Longoria trade. Yeah. I mean, Denard Spahn was old. Uh, Matt Crook and Stephen Woods, I've never heard of. Uh, Christian Arroyo, I believe the Rays have already released. Yeah, but the thing with Evan Longoria, though, they gave him a second contract, did they not? Correct. We traded for him when he was, what, 34, 35? Correct. And that was the other point I wanted to make, too. And thank you for reminding me. I couldn't think of what I wanted to say is if you're a raised player, how are you going to agree to one of these below-market deals, knowing yeah. in all likelihood you're going to get traded? Like, at that point, it's screwed. I'd rather hit free agency and test the market and make some money. I mean, it's going to be interesting because especially as this franchise has developed, especially since whatever year it was when Evan Longoria broke out and they beat the Yankees in game 162 and sort of started their run there, and then they sort of dropped back down to the bottom of the basement for a couple of years as they redeveloped. It's going to be interesting to see if these sorts of moves – if they're able to continue to compete year after year with these low, low payrolls. Yeah, I mean, look, some of these trades, they, they never completely – I would say the Longoria trade is the only trade they whiffed on. They traded Ben Zobras to the A's. Like, you know Escobar, John Jay, so those were solid pieces. David Price, you got Willie Udames, uh, Drew Smiley, Chris Archer, obviously. I mean, probably the best trader in the past 10 years in baseball. 
uh, Shields and Wade Davis. You got Will Myers, Odorizzi, Mike Montgomery. I mean, even if those guys weren't studs for the Rays, they were successful big leaguers long term. Uh, and who knew Wade Davis was going to turn it into a premier closer when you made that trade? But uh, again, it's just uh, these guys that they gave up, they just did not get the return to justify it in a lot of cases. And look, I hope Luis Patino develops, but another tough break for the Rays. Uh, and the Padres got Snell. And the craziest thing was that was just the tip of the iceberg because immediately after Dustin. Real quick, though, before you go into Darvish, I did yes. have a question for you as a Yankees fan. Sure. So looking at the AL East and the Yankees in particular, what move in the past two off seasons would you say is most impactful to the Yankees in the oh, it's, AL it's East? The, is it's, it, the, it's the Mookie trade. It's Mookie over Cole or Snell? It has to be because the most you're going to face Snell, if you play every team in your division, I think the number is – 17 to somewhere between 17 and 19 times a year. Um, that means the most you're going to face Snell is six to seven times a year. Um, and again, pitchers, as we know, the shelf life is way shorter. I mean, we were looking at a decade plus of Mookie dominating us. Yeah, you know, this fair. was going to be the new, the, the new generations, David Ortiz, Manny Ramirez, stud all around player. Um, so I would say Mookie, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a perfect example of the frustration as a Yankee fan right now is not only are you not spending, but you also have other teams in your division actively getting rid of their best players yeah. and they're not trying to take advantage of it. It's like, it would devastate me if the, another team signed DJ LeMahieu, but there's a very small point, part of me that wants the Blue Jays to sign them just so that the Yankees wake the fuck up. Plain and yeah. simple. Like, that will be the wake-up call of, look, we don't need to spend money like George used to, but we do still need to be active on the market because we don't develop prospects like these other teams do. That's a reality. And the ones we did develop, Judge, Glaber, I'll throw Gary in there, Severino, they're up. The baby bombers are starting to get towards, like, the middle of the career bombers at this point. Uh, so that'll be my Yankee tirade. But, yeah, I would say Mookie getting traded okay. is more significant than this. But both were great to see as an AL East guy. Um, but, yeah, Dustin Lynn, right after the, uh, the Blake Snell trade takes place, he reports that the Padres are also in deep talks to acquire you Darvish, and they ultimately got that trade done. Uh, it was you Darvish and catcher Victor Caratini uh, going from Chicago to San Diego uh, for right-hander Zach Davies, uh, shortstop prospects Reginald Preciado and Yizan Santana, as well as outfielders uh, Owen Kaisise and Isamal Mania in return. Uh, Chicago will also pick up a minor portion of Darvish's remaining money. Uh, again, Darvish, three years, $59 million on the books. So, again, even if they're not picking up a ton of that, it's less than $20 million a year for the reigning Cy Young runner-up in the National League. Uh, Caratini is only going to make between $1.2, $1.6 million in 2021 in arbitration. Uh, he's really only included in this deal because he's Darvish's personal catcher. Uh, so Darvish will now reunite with A.J. Preller, who was part of the Rangers front office when they signed Darvish out of Japan. 34 years old last year, best season of his career, 76 innings, 201 ERA, 2.23 FIP, 11 Ks per nine, point. Six six walks per nine, personal high, ninety five point five mile per hour on his fastball, which to me is probably the most encouraging thing. And even Caratini for a glove first catcher, two fifty three twenty seven three seventy two stat line, and six hundred seventy seven plate appearances. Uh, so all things considered, not terrible. Ninety eighth percentile on Statcast pitch framing last year, and he'll join Austin Nola and Luis Campusano as catchers on the Padres forty man roster. Uh, this is the first big trade of the Jed Hoyer era in Chicago. Uh, so before we talk about what the Cubs got in return, 
this to me was even more stunning than the Blake Snell trade, honestly. Yeah. Uh, because at least when they gave up Patino, they gave up not the you know tip tip of the iceberg of their prospects. They kept Mackenzie Gore and C.J. Abrams, but Patino again, top consensus, top twenty prospect. Here it seems like because they were willing to take on Darvish's money, they gave up nothing. Yeah, and I think that's the most interesting part of the trade. We'll get to what we think the Cubs are really doing here in a second. But I really think that this trade is so encouraging for Padres fans because they've historically just spent so much lower than the rest of the league. And this takes them to just an entirely new tier financially. With Snell and the $11 million owed to him next year, they were looking at a payroll of about $141 million. And then you tack on the $22 million salary for Darvish, that spikes to around $163 million. Now I'll come down some with Davies' salary coming off the book here. But either way, it's going to be north of $160 million, and that's the third highest payroll in baseball. And it's interesting, too, because Ron Fowler, the former chairman of the team, was probably the most outspoken owner of saying, yeah, you know, we took a hit this, this offseason or this year with the pandemic. Who knows what the offseason is going to look like. Uh, again, Fowler stepped down as chairman, so maybe that has something to do with it. But, yeah, I mean, this, this spending came out of nowhere. Uh, and this is really tough to, I think, Swallow as a Cubs fan, inversely. I mean, the Ricketts are billionaires. They literally own a bank. And the fact that you are having this fire sale now, uh, which they're calling Jed Hoyer as a retool, but this was a salary dump, plain and simple. Um, Ironically enough, with Chris Bryant's, you know, Chris Bryant's service time manipulation, this was the year that they were manipulating the service time to have Chris Bryant have. So the irony of them gutting the team in Bryant's last year that they went, literally went to a grievance for is pretty crazy. Um, but focusing on the Padre side of things, I mean, at a minimum now, Darvish, Blake Snell, Lament, one, two, three. Mm-hmm. You're going to have Chris Paddock back there, maybe Mackenzie Gora. I mean, is this the best rotation in baseball now? Yeah, and I don't think it's particularly close. And so my question for you is going to be, where does this rank, at least on paper, in terms of historical – five-man rotations, whether you got the Braves of the late 90s, you got the 66 Dodgers with Koufax, Drysdale, and Sutton, you got the Phillies in the late 2000s with Oswald, Hal Holiday, Cliff Lee, Cole Hamels. Where does this sort of slot in into those historically for you? So I don't think I could put, put it in that category quite yet. Okay. Um, I think 2022, once Clevenger's back and this becomes a quartet, um, then yes, I, I think we could start to get in that discussion. You know, my, my only worry with this rotation is, you know, we, Snell's a stud. I know it better than most as an AL East guy, but he is inconsistent. I mean, we, we mentioned before his numbers from the past three years. You know, he peaked with the Cy Young, battled elbow injuries, had a four-something ERA. This year was kind of the in-between year. Um, you know, Lamette was great last year, but it was his first full season as a starter. He battled injuries. He still probably won't be 100% going into spring training. Um, and even Darvish, as outstanding as he was last year and the second half of 2019, prior to that, the first year and a half with the Cubs, this was being discussed as one of the worst free agent signings in baseball yeah. history. Now, that sure. isn't to say I'm not a Darvish believer. I think he's back. And the fact that at 34, the fastball velocity was the highest of his career, that's an incredible sign if you're the Padres. Yeah, um, I mean, he probably should have won the Cy Young over Barra last year. He had it was arguably his- a better season, and he faced more difficult opponents. It was his to lose. Uh, the last two weeks of the season, if he had just gone out and pitched solid, he wins the award. The right. difference is Bauer went out, and he had those milestone-type wins. You know, he had the shutout against the Brewers that pushed them to the postseason. He had the narrative, I would say, behind him. Um, so, you know, I think the Padres' rotation is great, but I, I think in my mind, 
it's hard to say a rotation is historic when you could still make the case that despite how loaded it is, you could still make the case the Dodgers to have a better rotation within the division. Because at the end of the day, Bueller and Kershaw aren't going mm-hmm. anywhere. Dustin May and Gonsolin are a year older, a little more sure. experienced. David Price is coming back. Urias was probably the biggest weapon of any team at any position in the postseason. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think once Clevenger comes back, this could get into historic territory. But, you know, those Braves rotations did it for so long. Yeah. Um, you know, the Oswald Clemens Pettit short peak there, but what a three years it was. Uh, and again, I, I mean, the, to me, the best rotation of our lifetime was that 2011 Phillies team. And, and somehow yeah. it does get lost in the shuffle. Uh, I mean, you just you had Holiday and Lee. It just to go lefty righty, lefty righty with, or righty lefty, however you want to say it, with Holiday, Lee, Oswald, Hamels. I mean, it was ridiculous. Hamels went from winning, you know, World Series MVP to being the four starter on his own team two years later. Yeah. Um, but I digress. Uh, so Zach Davies, I mean, I would say the definition of a solid big league pitcher. Uh, this past year, best year of his career, 273 ERA, 388 fifth and 69 in the third innings, 8.18 Ks per nine, 2.47 walks per nine. Um, interesting enough, you know, he was probably like the headliner of this trade, and he's only signed for another year. Uh, it's last year of arbitration. He's going to make anywhere between 6.3 to 10.6 million. That's projected. Uh, but he has had an ERA under four in all but one of his MLB seasons. Uh, to me, the only problem is – you know, Davies is good. He's 27 years old. Maybe he's a guy you lock up long-term. But with him and Kyle Hendricks now, it's very – as much as I love Kyle Hendricks, it's a very dangerous game to play when both of your – both your ace and your two-pitcher rely on location and not overpowering stuff. Um, and if I'm a Cubs fan, that's my biggest worry. I mean, look, as soon as you trade Darvish, the team is going to downgrade. But, you know, you ultimately traded him for – a soft-tossing right-hander coming off of a best year of his career who the Padres clearly sold high on. Mm-hmm. Um, and Baseball America, I mean, Preciado is going to be the 15th-ranked, Mania 17th, Santana 18th, and Kiasi 20th amongst the Padres' 20 best prospects. So even in the volume trade, the fact that you didn't get a single top-10 prospect, yeah. I'm furious as a Cubs fan, plain and simple. Yeah, I mean, I'd be pissed looking at the four prospects. They're all over the age of 20, and even still – Oh, sorry, excuse me, they're all 20 or younger, uh, and they're all very far away from the majors. Um, I mean, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The Cubs are essentially a win-now team that isn't trying to win now. They're sacrificing a last title run here by trading away their best player for another potential one many years in the future. And after this year, I just don't see them being one future star or free agent away from winning. I mean, looking at the 2016 title team, took multiple top draft picks, two phenomenal trades, a bunch of hits in free agency. Um, and sure, like it's possible that the Cubs received a future star in the steal in those prospects. While they're not super exciting, the Padres did spend nearly $5 million in signing bonuses on the four of them in total, which isn't insignificant. But, I mean, that won't be clear for another few years. And that's no help at all, of all, at all to Rizzo, Bryant, Baez, Hendricks even Hap, who will be a free agent after 2023. I mean, the Cubs could have made themselves the clear NL Central favorites with very minimal investment. They could have stayed well below the competitive balance tax that they wanted to and still competed, but instead they're cutting costs under some guise of building a sustainable winner, but it's just not it. And so my question for you would be, with the Ricketts possibly sort of like – 
acting poor and not spending and cutting costs. Like, do you think that Theo saw some sort of writing on the wall here and got out while he could? I think 100%. And I, speak, I think it speaks to Theo's comment of, I'm not great at the whole rebuild. Um, mm. you know, I'm, I'm good at building a contender. I'm good at sustaining it, but I'm not good at the rebuild. Uh, yeah, and I think he definitely saw the writing on the wall. I think it's part of the reason he gave up his $10 million salary just to help keep team employees employed. Um, and look, I sympathize for Jed Hoyer. You know, somebody was going to have to do this. It's similar to when Jeter came in in Miami, traded Stan and yell at Ozuna. Somebody had to gut the team. Hoyer was just the guy to do it. It's just it, – it's crazy to think. I mean, that 2016 Cubs team was one of the best baseball teams we're ever going to see in our lifetimes, top to bottom. The lineup was so great. They seemed so young. The pitching staff was four deep. You had Chapman, who you traded for out of the bullpen. And it just seemed like that was going to be a team that was going to stick around for a while. They made it to the NLCS next year, lost the game 163 the following year, missed the playoff in 2019. Joe Madden was gone. And it just seems like that peak was almost – it was too short. It lasted it, – it, it ended too soon. Yeah. Um, and the interesting thing is, and I, and I guess to ask you a question about the Cubs, I mean, they're banking, seems like they're banking on the fact that 85 wins is going to win the central. Uh, and I guess my question is, you know, given who knows if they're going to keep Chris Bryan at this point, I think the nationals trading for Josh Bell takes them out of that trade sweepstakes. And that was going to be a big suitor, but the pirates, I mean, the pirates are going to be the worst team in baseball. The Cardinals are, if the Cardinals lose Yachty and Wainwright, I don't love their depth. Um, I still don't think that – I don't even think they have Carson Kelly at catcher anymore to back up Yachty as the guy of the future. And Wainwright was so good and so valuable to that rotation last year. The Reds just are going to probably lose Bauer. Sounds like they're going to trade Sonny Gray. Um, and who's the last team in the Central? I'm drawing a blank. Say Milwaukee? And the Brewers are the Brewers. If Yellick has another down year – I mean, they have Woodruff and Corbin Burns, but I just, even with those two, Devin Williams and Hayter, pitching-wise, I just don't know if they have the bats. So I guess my question is, am I that crazy to think that the Cubs still could be up near the top of the favorites in the division, even with Hendricks and Davies leading the rotation and Schwarber gone? I mean, sure, like you said, with projections being 85 wins could win the Central, but I mean, if you're a Cubs fan, do you want to win 84 games and get swept out of the division no, it's, look, it's the classic conundrum I'm having right now as a Giants fan. Yeah. You know, somebody texted me and we're like, do you really want to win the division this week? And I said, candidly, no, because I would rather be five and 11, get a top six, seven pick and build to the future than have a meaningless playoff spot at six and 10 and get bounced in the first round. Yeah. So I, I think that is the conundrum. If you're a Cubs fan, one last note on this from the Padres side of things. Uh, the Padres are going to be the first team to acquire two pitchers in a single offseason who both either won or finished top two in the Cy Young voting in three of the prior seasons. Uh, and I guess my last question to wrap this up is, given how little it seems that the Padres gave up for frontline talent with multiple years left on their contracts, how much does this absolutely crater? And I know it's not apples to apples because one's a shortstop and two are pitchers, but if you're an Indians fan and you're the Indians front office right now, you're bumming. Yeah, you're not stoked. And like you said, it's a little apples to oranges just in terms of positional value, pitcher versus infielder. But yeah, it, just the general star trade market, not looking very hot. Terrible. I mean, they are in absolute deep shit. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. But regardless, uh, it's, it's crazy that the Padres on paper now may have the second best roster in baseball 
but also maybe the second best team in their division still. Uh, and again, look, at the end of the day, I said this about the Mets last week, you know, the Padres can build all these great players and build this great lineup, but it all, is, it all comes down to what you do on the field. Uh, and I guess my last point, and it's something I read about, I think one last guy, the biggest loser in all of this, is Mike Trout. And the yeah. only reason I say this is because the Padres had a generational talent in Tatis. They signed Hosmer before he came up. They signed Machado to be the veteran guy and the producer in the middle. But you look at how many strides they've taken the past two years to surround Tatis with all-star level talent, to build the team around him. And it's just something the Angels have never done. And it's amazing looking at what the Padres have done in the past two years. Yeah, I mean, 100%, I agree with you. And especially, sure, you can call them the secondary team, but you're still a big market team with big market money. So, Yeah, I I mean, the Angels, in our lifetime, the Angels have given out I mean, just go through this out loud with me real quick. At least $800 million contracts? Yeah. I mean, Pujols? Hamilton. Hamilton. Did C.J. Wilson? I don't think he got 100. He got close to it. But Pujols, Hamilton, Upton, Rendon, Trout. Yeah, that's only five, but that's still a lot. And they gave C.J. Wilson big money. It's just, it seems like they just consistently make the wrong moves and it sucks for Mike Trout. Maybe he'll go to San Diego. Maybe. Here's a crazy thought that I just had. So, and it goes hand in hand with this. Uh, the Padres also signed Ha Seung Kim, who was a shortstop third baseman in the Korean League, top international prospect out there, 25 years, uh, 25 years old. The team has not confirmed the contract, but John Heyman said it's at least four years guaranteed in length. Uh, probably seven to eight million dollars annual salary. Uh, Kim became available last month when his KBO team, the Kiwam Heroes, posted him for bidding. Uh, again, they have to pay a luxury tax fee to the team. The fee will equal 25, 20% of the contract's first 25 million, 17.5% of the next 25 million, to 15% of anything thereafter. Uh, Kim in seven seasons in the KBO 294, 373, 493, shortstop and third. Uh, this past year, 306, 397, 523, 30 homers, 24 doubles in 138 games. Came up when he was 18 in the KBO. That allowed him to get posted so early. Seventh on MLB Trade Rumors top 50 list back in November for free agents going to this year. Past two years, 307, 393, 500, uh, slash line, 49 homers. 56 for 62 in stolen base percentage, which is huge. Um, he's been 42% better than a league average hitter in the KBO by WRC+. Plus. Uh, Kyle Glazer of Baseball America compared him to a top 100 prospect. Wasn't there a kid in our fraternity named Kyle Glazer? Quick, quick pause in the action. When we were seniors, maybe, freshmen, kind of like funky hair, pale kid. It sounds familiar, but I can neither confirm nor deny. All right, I digress. Um, but before getting into, you know, Kim and this signing, Given that he's a shortstop, if the Angels came to you and said, we'll eat some of the money, but we want Trout for Tatis, who says no? I mean, I think the fact of him being a shortstop, to be honest, doesn't really matter. No, I'm just saying at least if you were to trade Tatis for Trout, you have a shortstop. Yeah, sure. Do you think either team says no? No, I don't. That's interesting. Ooh, baby. That's interesting. Interesting indeed. Um, so looking at fan graphs, Dan Zimborski does the Zips, proje- the Zips projections. Uh, and this is what he has Kim projected out to for the next 
four or five years. Uh, 2021, 3.8 war, 23 homers, 82 ribbies, 117 OPS plus. 2022, 23, 83, 118 OPS plus, 3.8 war, 3.9 war in 2023, 3.7 in 2024, 3.5 in 2025. Uh, has the home runs going from 23 to 25. Ribbies don't dip below uh, 80s. Stolen bases, 15 to 17. OPS plus, that 117 is the low number. Uh, so I think the interesting point here is if a guy like this hit free agency in the States, uh, even in 2025 when he is 30, 31, this guy's getting top dollar. So if 100%. he's getting like seven, eight million a year from the Padres, this seems like an aggressive uh, and maybe even redundant move by AJ Preller, but a great one. Uh, what are your thoughts on them bringing in Kim to San Diego? I love this move, especially for the dollar value, like you were saying. And the biggest complaint I saw on Twitter about it was just like, what's his fit, especially with Tatis being there short. And sure, Tatis might not play short forever, but I don't think he's moving out of the way for Kim. But I mean, why does there need to be a specific fit? Like the Dodgers have shown and the perfect that example. Yes. There's a lot of value in having lots of very good, very versatile players. Um, the Golden State Warriors, positionless basketball, you positionless just, baseball. You just accumulate talent and you figure out where to put them later. The talent yeah. is the most important part. I mean, on paper, it's a great match between player and team. He joins a competitive club, and they have the flexibility to take a slow with him if he struggles out of the gate just coming over from Korea. In theory, it makes the most sense to me to slot him in as the starting second baseman, shift Cronenworth to the outfield. But if he slumps, you bring Cronenworth back to second, and then you have good reinforcements in the outfield. Yeah, I think Cronenworth will end up as the left fielder with Jerks and Profar likely gone. Uh, and to me, this, this highlights because the Kim, tra- Kim signing – uh, was in that, I mean, it hasn't officially been announced, but was reported before the Darvish trade. Uh, and to me, this makes Cronworth a little bit redundant. Sure. And Cronworth was the second place in the Rookie of the Year voting last year behind Devin Williams, but was probably the best offensive rookie last year in the National League, him and Alec Baum. And the fact that the Cubs couldn't get Cronworth in that trade, to me, is the real travesty because that's a guy you get with Davies where you go, all right, we could put this guy all over the mm-hmm. diamond. Then you feel a little bit good about this trade. Um, but, I mean, you look at this Padres lineup now, you know, you have Machado at third, Tatis at short, you have Hosmer at first, you have Kim at second, Cronworth roaming all over, Trent Grisham, Tommy Pham, you have Nolan now at catcher uh, with Caratini as well. Who would be their last outfielder, I guess, or their fourth outfielder? Is there someone I'm forgetting? I'm drawing a blank as well. Grisham, Pham. I mean, regardless, this team is now as deep as any team in baseball. Uh, and really, you know, people have made the clamor, oh, they got to go sign Trevor Bauer. Now, at this point, if you sign Bauer really because you want to say screw you to the rest of the league, great. Uh, to me, the biggest move they have to make, you have to go out and re-sign Trevor Rosenthal. Yep. Uh, because Drew Pomeranz was, has looked dominant as a reliever. But I think the idea of being able to use him as a multi-inning guy, given that he has so much starting pitcher experience, is huge. Whether it's Rosenthal, Kirby Yates, even Archie Bradley, I think you need to go out and fortify that bullpen because you look no further than the Dodgers themselves. As good as they were offensively and their starting pitching was, the bullpen was ultimately what did them in. And there's a reason that Yuri has closed out the NLCS in the World Series. You can never have enough bullpen help. But, I mean, I guess to put this all on a boat, have we ever seen a 24 hours in sports like the Padres just had? I mean – the only way I think about it is I don't think we've seen it in baseball. We've seen it in basketball, whether it was the big three in Miami, sure. Paul George and Kawhi News with the Clippers. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> 
Um, but even just going back to this 24 hours and looking back at Kim, just like the versatility of him, I think it's the perfect move to anticipate a universal DH change in possibly one, two years. Yeah, and that's a great transition to hear uh, the Nationals making a move because Josh Bell is a guy, 984 fielding percentage at first, which isn't terrible, but when you consider, you know, first basemen don't have a ton of plays to make other than scooping the ball, uh, it's not great. Uh, but all that said, Josh Bell, the last glimmer of hope for the Pirates has now been moved. Uh, he was traded to the Nationals on Christmas Eve last week. Uh, in exchange, the Nationals sent right-handers Will Crow, who was ranked by MLB Pipeline as its number three prospect, and Eddie Yeen, his number six prospect. Uh, Mike Rizzo, the GM of the Nats, said Josh was definitely the trade option we were looking for, looking at most intently. We think this is a big upgrade for us, the middle of the lineup, the presence that we've been looking for. Uh, Bell, 28, is entering a sixth MLB season. They sell the Pirates selected him 61st overall in 2011, paid him a then-record $5 million signing bonus. 6'4 slugger from 2016 to 2018 was solid. 263, 48, 436 line, 110 WRC plus. Um, but in 2019, uh, he was an absolute stud, all-star, ranked in the top 10 in the NL. Uh, and Ribby's at 116, OPS plus 142, 37 doubles, 37 homers, 559 slugging, 936 OPS. Last year, the numbers cratered in 56 games, 226, 305, 364, 669 OPS. First career, 261, 349, 466 hitter, 814 OPS. Has only hit 213 against lefties in his career. But again, this fills a big hole at first for the Nationals. Howie Kendrick retired. Estrubo Cabrera and Eric Thames are free agents. Sounds like Ryan Zimmerman's going to be back after sitting out last year. But again, he's a little bit older, part-time player in his career. Uh, I mean, what do you make of this trade? I mean, Bell season two years ago, he became one of seven switch hitters ever with a 35 homer, 35 double, 115 RBI season. Uh, crushed it in the first half. You hate to blame the home run derby, but since then really hasn't been the same hitter. You know, I, I don't know if Josh Bell is ever going to be that guy he was in the first half in 2019, but I am a believer in him from a talent standpoint. Uh, what do you make of Josh Bell and what do you make of this move for the Nationals? I mean, exactly like you said, it fills a massive need. They needed a cleanup hitter. They needed a first baseman. Um, but last season, Bell was just so bad, man. I mean, his strikeout rate ballooned. His walk rate fell to a career low. His power evaporated. I mean, after hardly budging for three years, his whiff rate leaped by eight points. His ground ball rate, which had fallen each of the past two years prior to last year, jumped by nearly 12 points by almost every measure imaginable he was a worse hitter in 2020 than ever before. And in interviews, he's come out and say he made uh, sort of fundamental changes and had bad habits in his step. And so hopefully he's able to identify the problem and sort of rebound to at least near where he was in the past. Um, but I, it makes sense for the nationals just filling a hole. And despite finishing last in the NL East last year, they had, yet to make a single splash this offseason. Um, and they lost seven players to free agency and declined contract options and four more. Um, I mean, 43% of the Nationals' played appearances in 2020 came from players who are just no longer on the roster. So they needed to make a move. And so it was encouraging to see they finally did something. Yeah, and look, and it's not like they gave up a ton. I mean, Crow was a first round pick, or second round pick in 2017. Uh, but again, he's 26. Last year made his MLB debut, 0-2, 11.88 ERA in three starts. Yeen, he's got the big 97-mile-per-hour fastball. But again, 19, hasn't made it above Class A short season baseball. 
so that's kind of like the Hail Mary for the Pirates. Uh, but, I mean, you touched on it for the Nationals. You know, I, I looked at what their lineup looked like with that trade. And I guess my question is, you know, when did the Nationals lineup bottom out so badly? I mean, it's just like you look at this, even with Bell at first, I mean, Jan Gomes, Luis Garcia, Josh Harrison, Carter Keyboom, who's been a bust so far. I mean, Soto and Turner are great, but Robles hasn't really done a ton offensively. Andrew Stevenson, it's just, uh, you felt like even when they won the World Series, it was powered by Rendon, Soto, Turner. Mm -hmm. But you just, you had the Howie Kendricks, you had the Zimmermans, you had professional hitters up and down the lineup, and it just doesn't have that feel to it. And uh, look, I guess they're just going to have to hope the pitching carries them, Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin, but you hit the nail on the head. I mean, they, they just, they needed to make a move in general um, yeah. just because uh, they made the World Series finish, won the World Series, finished last, last year, hadn't done anything this year. Uh, but I guess to wrap this trade up, I, I mean, if you're a Pirates fan, is your existence even more miserable than being a Rays fan? Oh, hundred percent. It just sucks. And I mean, more deals are likely coming for the Pirates, but they're going to be subtracting, not adding. Musgrove may bring back more than Bell if he gets dealt because he's got two more years on his deal. Jamison Tyon has come up in trade talks reportedly, as well as Adam Frazier. I mean, the combination of another last place season last year and a year of lost gate revenue. Um, it's just emboldened penny pinching Bob Nutting to payroll cut even more. And so I don't see any time in the near future that the Pittsburgh Pirates are competing. Yeah, and I feel for Ben Charrington. I mean, I listened to him come on to MLB Network yesterday, talk with Mad Dog Chris Russo. I think Pirates fans know they've been in a rebuild, but it just feels like other than those playoff years a few years ago, it's just been a perpetual year rebuild since that World Series team in the early 90s. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I, I feel for Pirates fans. And it's just uh, – the problem is, is they sell on these guys almost too late where it's after their peak years. Same thing happened with McCutcheon where it's like these guys had these all-star years and you can't sell high because you owe something to the fan base. But by the time they sell, they just get so little in return that it's just, it's a really tough thing to blow or to understand if you're a fan. Uh, and even texting with our buddy Spencer, it really is amazing. Those 2013 to 15 Pirates teams, how much talent there was that you forget. I oh, mean, yeah. you had all-star Russell Martin, you had Starling Marte, Polanco, uh, McCutcheon, Kang before he got into trouble. Pedro Alvarez was mashing home runs. I mean, that was just a good, fun, deep team, and it was another team. It was over pretty much as soon as it began. Yeah. You know, they'll always have that memory of rattling Cueto in the wild card game, but seems like they won't have much else. Pirates are my projection to be the worst team in baseball. Hopefully I'm wrong because I respect the fan base, but I'm not very helpful. Uh, <laughs> wrapping up the show real quick with a couple – Miscellaneous free agent signings. The first is the Rangers agreeing to a two-year deal uh, worth $6.2 million plus a $1.24 million posting fee with right-hander Kohei Arihara. Uh, Arihara, 28, spent the past six seasons with the Nippon Ham Fighters, went 8-9, and 3.49 ERA, 1.17 whip in 20 games and 132 and two-thirds innings last year. I averaged 7.2 Ks per nine and two walks per nine. Uh, over his career in Japan, he had a long history of showing strikes, never issued more than 2.2 walks per nine pitch in any of his last five MPB seasons. Best season was in 2019, 15-8, 2.46 ERA, 0.92 whip, averaged 8.8 Ks per nine in 88 uh, – sorry, 24 starts, not 88. That would be crazy. Then he would get way more money than he did. Um, again, the stuff isn't great, but 
you know, the Rangers need innings eaters. Kyle Gibson and Jordan mm-hmm. Lyles will be in the rotation with Dane Dunning, maybe Kobe Allard and Kyle Cody. Um, so I guess my two questions for you are, I mean, to me, this is a pretty no to low risk signing for the Rangers. Uh, he's going to become the eighth Japanese player uh, to play for Texas and the first since you Darvish in 2017. Uh, but I guess looking at this pitching rotation, are we that far removed from those Rangers teams that made the playoffs in 2013 to 15, 16 range? Because you look at the Rangers lineup up and down and it's bad. Oh, it's, it's ugly. Uh, I think you nailed it with exactly what this is. It's, He's a low-cost innings eater. He's got decent off-speed stuff, a promising splitter. But his fastball's just got barely average velocity and movement. So, But in the end, I mean, they're paying him so little that it's just such an excellent gamble for him. If he's even 90% of league average, they're getting a steal. And they're still probably going to need to add another starter for innings, like you just said, given Dunning's uncertainty and limited history of Kyle Cody. Um, but, yeah, so low risk, so cheap. I like it. Has there been a team in recent memory across sports that has been so bad coming into a multi-billion dollar stadium more so than this year's Rangers are going to be? I mean, I know they played in the new stadium last year, but this year will be the year that fans will actually be at the games. I mean, new stadium, ideally you're selling it out right away, filling filling the seats, but who the hell is going to want to go see this team play? Yeah, I mean, good point. I'm trying to think. I feel like always in football – they do some sort of move, at least for a high name person, to at least win five, six, seven games. Basketball stadiums, I just don't remember opening that many. And so in baseball, I mean, the last few parks that have opened, you got Minnesota in what was it, like 2008, something like that. You still have the Joe Mauer years. Um, I'm trying to think of other ballparks that have opened more recently. But yeah, I think this has got to be the worst. It's going to be ugly, um, but hey, at least they will have fans in the seats. God bless the great state of Texas. Uh, another team that needed to make upgrades is rotate the rotation were the Boston Red Sox. Uh, Chris Sales coming back from Tommy John, Eduardo Rodriguez. Who knows when he's going to be back with his heart condition? Uh, so Nate Evaldi was the only starter really penciled in the rotation spot heading into 2021. Uh, they signed Matt Andresi to a one-year deal, 2022 club option for two and a half million dollars. Uh, last year he was not great uh, to be plain and simple. Uh, he pitched for the Angels. He went two and four, four five ERA and sixteen appearances. But overall, as a career, twenty six and thirty four pitcher, four five seven ERA and one hundred eighty three big league games, fifty starts. Uh, came up as a swingman with the Rays, so has some experience with High and Bloom in that regard. Uh, and really signed with the Red Sox uh, because of the opportunity to start. Um, again, this is not going to jump off the page if you're a Red Sox fan, but should be if nothing else a solid innings eater. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the signing for the Red Sox? And then I guess the further question is, we have to expect that Chaim Bloom is going to do something else to address the rotation. Uh, and if so, do you think that's going to be a Corey Kluber or a Jake Odorizzi type or another guy, I hate to use the term scrappy, but a scrappy bounce back guy like a Matt Andres? Yeah, I think it's going to end up being another scrappy type guy. I don't know why, I just don't necessarily feel them sort of paying the big money for the big name. But with Andresi, he really fits the mold of pitchers that they've targeted under Bloom. He's got a solid fastball changeup. He's got above-hour spin rate on the breaking ball. Changeup had a 26.7 whiff rate last year, which was near the top of the league. And he's got experience starting, like you said, where he can sort of slide in as a starter. In 121 innings since being traded, he had a 5.53 ERA, which isn't great, obviously, but he had a much better XFIP at 3.95. 
and his K rate has been improving. So, I mean, all of that's appealing to a Red Sox team under Bloom and sort of what they've been doing. So let's say Eduardo Rodriguez is ready to go opening day. Chris Sale's back, we'll say, early May. You have Andresi, you have Evaldi, Tanner Hawk at the end of last year. Looks pretty solid. Um, as currently constructed, are the Red Sox a 500 team? I still think the answer is no. I agree. I think the bullpen's that bad, and there are enough holes in the lineup. Yep. God, great time to be a Yankee fan. Please resign DJ. Just do it. Make me a happy man. Otherwise, I'm going to cancel my tickets. Hope you're listening, Ezra Rod. And uh, another guy who was signed off the scrap heap by a team who needed to fill innings was uh, Jose Urena. He agreed to the Tiger with the Tigers. One-year deal, $3.25 million, $550,000, and bonuses starting at 15 starts and every third start after that. Uh, this is the first major league signing, signing that the Tigers have made this offseason. Um, again, Urena was non-tendered by the Marlins, was a standout pitcher in 2017, 14 and 7, 3, 8, 2 ERA, uh, went 9 and 12, 3, 9, 8, 3, and 31 starts in 18, career best 118 whip. Um, but then, uh, his 96, 96 mile per hour sinker didn't quite get the job done the next two years. I mean, again, we mentioned he got an intended this past year, went 0 and 3, 5.4 ERA, uh, in five starts in September. Uh, but again, he's being reunited with Juan Nieves, who was his pitching coach in Miami and Detroit. Uh, he's going to join Matt Boyd, Spencer Turnbull, and Michael Fulmer in the Tigers' rotation. Uh, Daniel Norris, Tyler Alexander, and prospects Tarek Scoble and Casey Mice should compete for the fifth spot. Uh, I mean, look, Urena, he'll be a leader in this rotation, I guess. He's had success in the past. But is there anything to be excited for for Tigers fan? Is it maybe that Casey Mize breaks out, or do you even have that? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty unexciting to be a Tigers fan right now if Arena can get to his 110, 120 innings pitched and a positive war this next season, then he'll be worth the little money they paid him. He's not spectacular, but the team doesn't need him to be spectacular, and I think that's a pretty fair phrase to describe the Tigers as a whole. It's just not spectacular. So I'm going to do an over-under. Last season, the Tigers in 60 games had a 64 win pace over under 67 wins this year for the Tigers. It's just hard to say under because that's such a low number, but I think it's going to be close. They are not going to be good. Who is going to win more games, the Tigers or the Pirates? Tigers. Tigers. Bounce back here from Miggy, baby. Who says no? <laughs> uh, the last free agent signing we're going to discuss was one that really bummed me out. Uh, and that was the Dodgers agreeing with former right-hander Tommy Canely to a two-year deal that will guarantee the right-hander $4.75 million. He's going to make seven hundred fifty grand this year, recovering from Tommy John surgery, $3.5 million next year. Uh, only 31 years old, so the Yankees outrighted him off the 40-man roster at season's end. Canely elected free agency. Five-plus years of Major League Service time made him a free agent. Uh, this could be a huge weapon for the Dodgers in 2022. Uh, Kenley Jansen's off the books. Joe Kelly's off the books. Uh, Kenley, I don't think is going to be a closer type, but as a setup man, had a very bad 2018, but 16, 17, and 19, really reliable for the Yankees. Uh, had a 3.48 ERA in 175 and two-thirds innings dating back to the 2016 season and is actually the rare pitcher who has a higher ERA than FIP. His FIP was 3.05, which showed he had some bad luck. 12.4 Ks per nine, 3.7 walks, only .92 homers, 96.8-mile-per-hour uh, heater on average. Massive, massive changeup, 59.9% swinging strike rate uh, and chase rate on pitches outside the strike zone. That was at 32.8%. 
can pitch to righties and lefties. Uh, 67 strikeouts on changeups in 2019 led MLB relievers by a wide margin. To me, this is how championship teams stay great. You make the depth moves looking to the future. You pay, pay for him to rehab on your dime next year for the following year. Uh, and look, Tommy Canely was drinking six Red Bulls a day at one time in the Bronx. I'm going to really miss this guy. Uh, what are your thoughts on what I think is a slam dunk move for the Dodgers or as much of a slam dunk move you can make as signing, you know, an, a sixth, seventh inning guy at least? No, I 1,000% agree. This is an Andrew Friedman special, low risk, high reward, and exactly like you said, how you build a consistent winner year over year. Love it. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Um, all right, to wrap up, I got some tweets that I wanted to go over with you and just some fun stats. I'm sure you probably have something for me as well. Uh, but the first one's going to be from Jim Passan, uh, and it's just to put into perspective how great Mike Trout is. Uh, Trout is 29 years and 137 days old uh, and is sitting on 302 homers, 838 walks, and three MVPs. When Barry Bonds, the all-time home run champ, was that age, 228 homers, 737 walks. Uh, I mean, to me, that exemplifies Trout's greatness better than anything I've read in a long time. But uh, what are your thoughts here? No, yeah. He's literally out-homering the home run king. Granted, that was pre-steroids bonds, but still, that's crazy. Yeah, that's nuts. Uh, we're going to give a little bit of love to the Browns, not the Cleveland Browns, but the St. Louis Browns. Uh, this past week, Alvin Kamara scored six touchdowns, six rushing touchdowns, tying Ernie Nevers' record. Uh, he was the previous player to rush for six touchdowns in an NFL game. But even more impressive than that, I think, is the fact that he struck out Babe Ruth in an MLB game. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, one thing from Cespedes Family Barbecue that I think is interesting, uh, they took a look at the number of top 50 free agent signings to sign by the end of winter meetings. Uh, this year, there have been six of the top 50 and zero of the top 20. Last year, it was 13 and eight, respectively. The year before that, eight and four. Uh, do you think this is going to be a trend that we see going into the future, or this is just more a product of the fact that the virtual winter meetings were virtual and there have been no in-person interactions? Yeah, I think it's exactly that. It's just, I mean, it was the same thing with the NFL draft this past year. They had almost no trades. And afterwards, front office execs said it's just because it was virtual. It's, there's something about being in person that just makes it a lot easier to get deals done. Of so. course. You get a drink, you wheel and deal a little bit. Um, and one lineup that I just had to share, this is from Yankees Fireside Chat. And the tweet is, game four of the 2012 ALCS, this was the lineup the Yankees sent out. No wonder they got swept. And I said, show this to my dad. Uh, some of these guys I forgot were Yankees, but the lineup was Ichiro, Nick Swisher, Cano, Tex, Raul Banez, Eric Chavez, Russell Martin, Gardner, Eduardo Nunez. What a hilarious combination of players who played through the Yankees throughout their career. And uh, no, the reason we got swept was not because of that lineup. It was because Jeter broke his ankle uh, and CeCe literally pitched until he couldn't anymore against the Orioles to get us that far. That's all I got. Last show of 2020. Anything you'd like to add? Fun stats, tidbits, or just general BS? I got a general trivia question slash fun stat for you. Oh, you know, I live for these. All right. So new Phillies GM, Sam Fold, who we talked about last week. Uh, he was one of how many Stanford players selected in the 04 draft? The 04 draft? The 04 draft. I don't expect you to get it on the head, but I thought it was interesting. Six. Ten. Which to me feels high, but I, I haven't checked what's the most. Can you name some of the players or anyone of note? I've got it pulled up. It's no, that, that does seem high, no matter how many players are drafted in the MLB draft. Johnny Ash didn't make it to the end. So guys who made it to the MLB are Sam Fold, 
Chris Carter, um, John Hester. No, he was 2006, excuse me. Uh, Donnie Lucy, uh, Danny Putnam. And that would be all that made the roster. But Jed Lowry was also on that team. How'd they do in the College World Series? That I will require a, uh, a that, minute. Let's see. They went 16 and 8. All right. While you look that up, I, I think there's a real missed opportunity. When you say Chris Carter, you mean CRIS, big hulking first baseman who led the league in homers, right? No, C H R I S. But the same, we're talking about the same Chris Carter, right? Yes, yes, yes. The first baseman. How the hell did they not have a buddy buddy comedy show with him and Sam Fold? Because Sam Fold is like 5'9 Jewish guy, the definition of grit. Chris Carter looks like he should have been a fucking offensive lineman or a center in the NBA. Seems like a missed opportunity for a fun mismatch duo, but I guess they don't like to have fun at Stanford. Go Bruins. Go Bruins. They lost in the regionals. They did not make it very far. They lost to the eventual national champion, Cal State Fullerton. Though. All right, but they at least were in the mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten guys drafted, you better be in the mix because that's, that's a pretty uh, – that's of all of our obscure, crazy stats may rank near the top the past couple weeks. Happy to help. All right. The last thing that we will have is uh, with New Year's, everybody's going to make New Year's resolution. Uh, what is your New Year's resolution for your team, the San Francisco Giants? What's my New Year's resolution? Let's do – we'll both do one for each of our teams. We'll each do one for the Giants, and then we'll each do one for the Yankees. Right, you go first for the Giants. I got I to gotta think. I was unprepared. All right, I think uh, my New Year's resolution for the Giants is um, coming off of his career year, I think you sell high on Brandon Belt at the deadline uh, because I think that allows you to move Buster Posey for fir- to first for the second half of 2021 season and 2022, the last year of his contract. Uh, gets Joey Bart a few more reps. I think hopefully by the deadline, you know if Kevin Gausman's going to be the guy you want to go with long-term or the guy you want to flip because he's coming on a qualifying offer and you won't lose any compensation for him the following year. Um, and, and I think uh, the last one has to be uh, locking up Mike Yastrzemski to a multi-year deal. I know he's on the older side. He's 28, 29 years old, but that guy was such a breath of fresh air, really a true five-tool player. And uh, if nothing else, you'll sign a, sell a lot of Yastrzemski merchandise over the next five, six years. Yeah, I think the big one is what she said, is moving Posey to first. And then just finally, at least with Cueto coming off the books after the season, being able to breathe some breath, some fresh air uh, financially and not recommit to old, expensive contracts. And my New Year's resolution for the Yankees. So I'll give myself a shameless plug. I wrote about my Christmas wish list for the Yankees. Um, but in short, re-sign DJ for obvious reasons. Bring back Tanaka. Eventually, he's going to understand that he's going to be taking a huge pay cut. It happens. Everybody needs to swallow their pride, athletes and normal folks like you and myself. uh, Sign Jose Quintana, one-year deal. Yanks could use a little depth at the back of the rotation. I like having a lefty. He could be had for cheap, I think. Sign Brad Hand to a two-year deal. Um, Out of Eno's contracts up at the end of the year, I like having a lefty not named Britton or Chapman to use in the middle innings. Plus, guy, nobody wanted to pay him $10 million. Can also probably be had for cheap. Um, I'd like to sign Jerks and Profar. I like the idea that he could play all over and as a switch hitter, add a little balance to the lineup. But the big move, let's go get Francisco Lindor, lock him up long-term. And if you think I'm crazy, I think we can offer Luke Voigt, Miguel Andujar, Mike Talkman, and Clark Schmidt. It gives them three big league regulars for their opening day lineup, allows Jose Ramirez to slide over to second base, so it fills four positions for them. Clark Schmidt, 
probably an overhyped Yankee prospect, to be honest. But if there's any team who could tape a prospect and bring them to the next level on the pitching side of things, it is the Cleveland Indians. Who says no? Not me. That is my New Year's resolution for the Yankees. Yeah, I was going to say a similar thing in not so many words, uh, which is going to be be yourself. Spend some money, embrace the evil empire, and become the Yankees again. Hell yes. Let's embrace the evil empire. Darth Vader, let's be some Sith Lords. I'll bust out the red lightsaber and bring it all around New York, wave it in the middle of the Manhattan. Who says no? That's all I got, though. Friends, thank you for listening with us the past year. I know uh, there's been some ups, there's been some downs. It's been a crazy year, but glad everyone is safe and healthy. Have a very happy new year. And here's looking forward to a little return to normalcy, both in the baseball world and reality in 2021. With them, Sam Schmal. My name is Chase Midorski. This is the Underdog Sports Baseball Show. <laughs>